Generosity. What could the world have looked like if God was a stingy God? As I thought about this subject yesterday, I always pray that God just gives me something new, kind of twisted way of looking at things. You know, on the third day, God could have really saved some work. Instead of thousands of plants and trees bearing almost an uncountable variety of grains, vegetables, and fruits, he could have settled on eggplant, broccoli, and spinach. And that's it. Eggplant, broccoli, and spinach. Why create all that other stuff? They won't know what they're missing anyway. Man could survive. He wouldn't know. The only fish in the sea could have been sardines. The only bird, a chicken. The only mammal, a goat. So there's your world. A goat, a chicken, some broccoli, some eggplant. How about colors? Have you ever really thought about how marvelous colors are? You know, as the lights go out, colors disappear, right? Color doesn't really exist except with light. It's a reflection off of different things that gives you uh, colors. So God could have made the world black and white. I know when I was a kid in the 60s, the 60s, you know the 60s? We had this little black and white TV. There was no internet, there was no cell phones, there was none of that. And it was fuzzy because it was really bad reception, but it was black and white. That was our TV. But that could have been our world. We could have grown up in a black and white uh, world. If we do nothing more this morning but meditate on the marvelous creation that God has given us, I think it would prompt all of us to be just a little bit more generous when we think about just how generous our God is. We take all of this for for granted, right? It's just there. Well, where did it come from? Who was behind that? Who came up with this incredible creation that we all enjoy? It's a generous God that did that. What's really interesting In the book of Genesis, as you look at the first three chapters, it's just about the creation, the bringing forth man and woman, the falling into sin, and the first thing that you actually see men doing, other than naming the animals, that was something that they did, you basically see in chapter 3, and I'm going to read this, 24 through 4-7, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. The concept or practice of giving back to the Lord was introduced to just three verses after Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden. I've never really thought about that. You kind of read through this stuff, but God created all this incredible uh, creation, the universe, the stars, the heavens, and the first thing you see these two boys doing is bringing back something to God 
in thanksgiving for what he had done for them. Obviously, Cain's heart was not right. We don't know a lot about that, but evidently there was evil in his heart, his motives were wrong, and God did not look on favor with his gift. When I think about who God is and who I am and read this accounting in Genesis 3 and 4, I conclude that our sermon subject of generosity is foundational in our relationship with our Creator. That's a fundamental part of our relationship with this generous God. It's giving back something to Him. Our Creator is the provider and sustainer of everything seen and unseen in our universe and beyond. Why be generous? Because God is generous. The act of giving back a portion of what He gives us is simply showing gratitude for what He has done and an acknowledgement of who He is and the honor that is truly due Him. Giving back to the Lord is pleasing to God only if it is done with the right motivation and the right heart attitude. As we read in the Genesis account, God doesn't take kindly to offerings made from a sinful attitude. There are two things I know that are really important to most of us, food and money. Last month, Jordan preached on fasting, setting aside food to feast on Jesus. Today, I'm preaching on generosity, giving back in appreciation of what God has done for you. The things I will touch on today are things that most of you already practice. We have a very generous body here at Connection, so to you I review these things to remind you of why you do what you already do. If money has been a stumbling block to anyone here, I offer to you biblical truths that can help set you free from holding back what is rightfully God's. Psalm 24, 1 and 2 says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. There is nothing in existence that didn't find its origins from the breath of God, from the very air that we breathe, to the warmth of the sun, to the colors we gaze upon, to the delightful food that we indulge in. It is all from the Creator who has blessed us generously. You know that we really don't create anything. Did you ever really think about that? Everything we mess with on this earth was already created. We're just modifying it and putting it together and running around with it. God is the originator of everything fundamentally that we have to work with in this world. So we're going to venture into the wonderful blessings we receive from acknowledging who provided it and returning a portion to him to do his work on this earth. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Most of Scripture was written with the backdrop of an agrarian society. The concept of giving from your first fruits means taking a portion of your income for the Lord first before taking anything for yourself. It's a hard attitude that first and foremost I know who made it, possible for me to have anything. For God has given me my health, my drive, my talents, my opportunities to earn anything on this earth. If you really go through life thinking like that, that literally in a blink of an eye, we've seen it happen. You can lose your health. You can lose your mind. You can lose your source of income. It's only by God's grace that you really have anything. Tithing is literally meant to be a tenth in the Old Testament, 
Leviticus 27.30 says this, The tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy. While the Israelites wandered in the desert, Moses was given the law from God. The book of Leviticus contains teachings on all kinds of offerings to God beyond the tenth. These gifts to God were used to support the priests and temple activities. Today, our offerings support the work of the church for the benefit of the body of Christ and outreach to the world. The New Testament writings aren't as specific on how much to give. The New Testament focuses primarily just on generosity. Here are some of Paul's teachings on this subject. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. He said this after praising the Macedonian churches for giving beyond their ability. I think it was the church at Jerusalem that was in very dire straits in this Macedonian church that didn't have much, but they gave way beyond what they were really able to give. In his letter to the Corinthian church, he exhorts them to set aside an amount of money to give each week. In this, he was promoting consistency in giving. He also taught on proper giving. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I want to pause on that statement. God loves a cheerful giver. You know, if, if God tells you what he loves, if you want to be on board with God, it's kind of like take that to heart. He loves a cheerful giver. If I really want to be blessed by God, if I really want to walk in uh, side by side with him and see the things that he wants me to do and, and be in, in just right in step with God, he loves a cheerful giver. He wants me to give cheerfully, not out of obligation, not legalistically, none of that. He wants me to have a heart that says, I recognize that you gave me everything. It's yours. Tell me what you want done. We'll do it. God knows our hearts. God can't be fooled. God longs for us to totally trust him with our finances. He knows what we need. When we honor him with our resources coming from a grateful, cheerful, trusting, and generous heart, he will repay exceedingly. Proverbs 22.9 goes like this. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Proverbs 28, 27, those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them will receive many curses. In 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19, it says this, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Generosity is an attitude of the heart. And there are so many ways to show generosity. Some of you are generous with your time, some with your talents, some giving over and above. Some of you are very open with your homes, with your hospitality. Some of you always have kind words or encouraging words to people. Some share their leadership skills, or some just lend a sympathetic ear. But all of these are outcroppings of a love for people and a generous heart. God is pleased with all of these. God promises to honor and reward generosity. At the root of godly generosity is love. Without love, you cannot practice generosity that will please him. 
We started off looking at Cain and Abel in Genesis, and we're going to conclude by looking at them again in 1 John 3, 11 through 18. As I looked at Cain and Abel, it was kind of amazing to me that chapter 3 and 4, or chapter 4, you actually see Cain and Abel, and then almost at Revelation, Cain and Abel pop up again. So I think there's something to learn from Cain and Abel. 1 John 3, 11 through 18. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. As you try to peer into Scripture and try to re- understand what's going on in the backdrop of things, if you just read Genesis 4 about Cain and Abel, it's like, hey, Cain brought something to God. He gave something back. What's wrong with that? Especially in our culture today, it's like, hey, how could you possibly not honor that? Well, there's something in Cain's heart that was not right. He was not walking with the Lord. He was just doing this as kind of a legalistic uh, activity, evidently. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, How can the love of God be in him? So, dear children, let us not love with words or with tongue, but with actions and in truth. God sacrificing his one and only son on the cross was the ultimate act of generosity by the Father. God sacrificing his one and only son on the cross was the ultimate act of generosity by the Father. Can you imagine? He created this whole thing. He made it beautiful. He gave us the variety of plants and animals and all of the wonderful things in the skies. And then to redeem this whole thing, he had to send his son to hang on a cross to redeem people to himself. That is mind-boggling if you can really absorb even a portion of that. Jesus willingly hanging on that cross was the ultimate act of generosity by the Son. Jesus had free will. Jesus willingly hanging on that cross was the ultimate act of generosity by the Son. Out of a true love for God and for our brothers and sisters, be attentive and sensitive to the acts of generosity that the Holy Spirit places in your path. I truly believe that through your life, You will have opportunities, and you'll have a yes or no answer, a get on board or get off board answer for all of those opportunities. God will put things in your path that says, you know what, why don't you you jump into this with your time, your talents, your money, whatever it is, but it's a test, and you have free will. Jesus could have said, I don't think so. I'm going to get beat up and hung on that cross. But no, he made the right choice, and he redeemed all of us and made it possible for us to be here today, to have communion with the Holy Spirit, 
to be an adopted son or daughter of the living God. We can never repay what God has already done for us, nor can we outgive the Father, who the psalmist in chapter 50:10, and I think this is the theme verse for Brian Blackford, God is the owner of all the cattle on a thousand hills. And if you're in the cattle business, that's pretty cool. For me, it'd be all the steel in every warehouse in America. Trust Jesus in this. It is more blessed to give than to receive, and God loves a cheerful giver. You will be blessed by giving of your time, of your talents, of your money. I'm a gray-haired guy in here, and I'm just about the oldest one here, so I can speak with some authority on walking with God for almost 45 years. And God has blessed me beyond my wildest imagination. And God has given me a gift of trusting him with resources. And God's done incredible things through that. And I had a choice. When I had nothing and I was giving back to God, I remember my wife and I, when our kids were, I mean, in diapers and writing checks and doing things, serving the church, which didn't make a whole lot of sense, right? You didn't have anything anyway, and you're going to do what? But I'm going to tell you, 45 years of walking with God and watching him outgive me in an incredible way is a testimony. And it's nothing to do with me other than I said yes. That's all. And he did the rest. An incredible, incredible story for me. It's a rock that I still live on now as I look back and see what God can do if you're willing to trust him with everything. Test him. Let him show that he knows your needs. He cares about you and wants you to not only appreciate his generosity, but to also trust him with all you have. Let me pray. Dear Lord, I do thank you for your word. I thank you, dear Lord, how you've preserved it over all of these thousands of years. I thank you for the folks here this morning. Dear Lord, give them freedom with their time and talents and money. Dear Lord, let them feel the incredible um, warmth that comes from you, dear Lord, by just joining with you in accomplishing on this earth the things that you want to accomplish through each one of these folks, dear Lord. You tell us in Ephesians that good works were prepared in advance for us to do, and I truly believe that, dear Lord. Let the answers be yes. I trust you. I love you. I appreciate what you've done. Dear Lord, we love you. Thank you for this time. Dear Lord, as we go into the communion, dear Lord, I pray that we would all be reminded of the sacrifice, of the generosity that you have shown each and every one of us. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.